Morning, everybody. Good to have you today. Today, uh, we are in part three of a series called Rebel. And if you're like watching that video going like, I don't quite get it. Like, those don't seem like the rebels that we've seen in the, in the past few weeks in our intro video. You would be correct. Uh, what we wanted you to see today was that some rebels are hard to identify. Uh, as we look at today's rebel, we're going to see, you know what, this is the hardest rebel to identify in ourselves and in other people. And as we read through today's Bible story, you're going to say, like, I don't get it at first. Like, this guy, he certainly wasn't a rebel. Like, he didn't have that in him at the beginning part of his life. But the more we look at his story, the more we're going to be able to see that he got involved in the most dangerous type of rebellion that we can be involved in. It's worse than an arrogant rebellion that can lead us far away from our God. So if you are new with this, let me give you a quick recap of where we've been so far in this series, and then we'll dive into today's rebel. So far, we've learned that we're all rebels. Uh, All of us are. Uh, The Bible's pretty clear about that. Whether we're arrogant rebels or whether we're passive aggressive rebels, whether we're rebels with a cause to fight for, it doesn't matter. All of us are a little bit rebellious. And I'll take you back to that moment, maybe that weekend for you, that season of life where you made that decision and you said to yourself, I don't care. I'm just going to do it anyway. I know it's wrong, but, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. I know that this isn't going to make God happier, my parents happier, my family happier, my friends happy, but you know, it's going to make me happy. And so I'm going to do it. You don't have to raise your hand if you've ever had a thought like that. But like, I'll get two hands up, a couple of legs. You know, like, we've all done that. This series, Rebel, applies to all of us, regardless of our personality. Now, in week one of this series, we started by looking at the arrogant rebel. And we looked at the story of Cain and Abel, and we watched what happened when Cain gave in to his rebellion. He let his rebellion take control over him, and lead him to the point that he killed his brother. He was so angry, so angry at God, so angry that his brother was getting more attention than he was, that he killed his brother over it. What we learned in this series is that when we don't deal with our rebellion, when we let it take control over us, it leads to a death of some sort. You know, in Cain's story, it led to a real death. In many of our stories, it leads to a relational death a death between us and the God who loves us, a death between us and the people that we love around us. So our rebellion always leads to some sort of death if we don't deal with it appropriately. In week one, we also learned a very powerful truth. We learned this, that our rebellion has the ability to not only lead us away from God, we understand that. We saw that in Cain's story. We see that in the Bible. We see that in our own lives. We understand that rebellion It always leads us away from God, but it has the ability to lead us back to God if we'll let it. If when we're on that rebel road and we're riding going, woo, I'm doing what I want, if we'll stop and say, you know what, this this path isn't leading anywhere good. If I continue on this path, it's going to hurt more people than I want it to hurt. If we'll stop, if we'll humble ourselves and come to God and say, God, will you forgive me? I don't want to continue on this path. And God will give us grace, mercy, and forgiveness, and he'll show us how to fix the stuff that we've damaged. But again, we have to stop and let our rebellion actually lead us back to God. Last week, if you missed last week, 
you missed an epic Sunday. I came out in my rebel costume. I had a wig on. I rode my bike to church. It was awesome. And I tell you, you should never miss church because you just never know what weird thing I'm going to do on stage. So anyway, just a teaser for you. Anyway, last week, what we learned was not all rebels look the same. You know, sometimes we look at rebellion and we say, well, that's a, a rebel. We, we've got these certain stereotypes. You know, they dress this way. They act this way. They always do these kind of things. But the more we look at rebellion found in the Bible, the more we look at rebellion in our own lives, we understand that not all rebels look the same. We looked at the story of King Saul last week. And Saul did most of what God wanted. But there was a little portion that he didn't do. And then when he was confronted, he did this thing that none of us have ever done. He blamed other people. I know none of us have ever done that. Uh, but you know, when he was confronted by, by God's prophet, he said, it's not my fault. It was my army's fault. It's the people's fault. Like I wouldn't have done that if, if they hadn't pressured me into that. And then he decided this, you know, I'm going to sacrifice a bunch of stuff to God and that'll make him really happy and it'll make it all okay. And then God came along and said, no. Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obeying me on a regular basis is always better than trying to sacrifice something big for me, something that all of us need to remember on a regular basis, myself included. Now, today's story is somewhat of an extension of last week's story. And we saw last week that because of King Saul's constant passive rebellion, constantly doing most of what God wanted, but not all of what God wanted, constantly blaming other people, God eventually took the kingdom away from Saul. He gave it to a young man named David. And God said this about David. David wasn't perfect, but God said this, David will do what I ask him to do. And so he gave the kingdom to David. And David led his uh, kingdom and before he died, he had a number of children. Before he died, he crowned the next king, the third king of Israel, and that was Solomon, one of his kids, okay? So when Solomon took the, the kingdom over, he had this amazing experience, okay? So he was dreaming one night, and God showed up in the dream and said, Solomon, ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. So take a moment and daydream about how you would answer that question. Like, what would you do? If God showed up in your world, in your dream, or in your life, and said, whatever you want, blank check, I'll give it to you, how would you respond? Solomon responded this way in 1 Kings chapter 3. said, you have shown faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued your faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David, but I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And I'm here in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous that they can't even be counted. So, so God, here it is. This is what I ask you to give me. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong for who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours. So Solomon asked for wisdom. He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for the death of his enemies. He didn't ask for long, luscious hair. I don't know why anybody would ever ask for that, but he didn't ask for that. 
He didn't ask uh, for anything that, that many of us might ask for. He asked for wisdom. What makes this so interesting to me is to understand about how old he was when he was asked this. Bible scholars uh, are in a little bit of disagreement about how old Solomon was. Some say he was young as 12. Some say he could have been in his early 20s. So we're not sure. But I'm thinking in my life, 12 or 20, I'm not asking for wisdom. I don't know about you, but I'm probably not. At the age of 12, if God would have come along and asked me, I probably would have said, you know what? A new... uh, Atari video game console would be awesome. You know, I mean, that was the cool thing when I was 12. And like, I, you know, I didn't have one of those. My friends did. So if I did, that would put me in new ranks. And so like, that's probably one of the things I would ask for. Or I really struggled with the Rubik's Cube at that time. So I don't know if you struggle with that, but like I could get two sides, not any more than that. So like at 12, I could have asked for God. It'd be phenomenal if you would show me how to solve a Rubik's Cube. I could show up, you know, my next friend gathering and be like, watch this guy, three seconds. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I'm tired of taking the stickers off and putting them back on, you know. At the age of 20, I probably would have asked to date and marry a smoking hot babe. Yes, I did. I did. You answered before I could, because I was going to tell you that my dream came true, and I did date and marry a smoking hot babe. And I actually look out and see my wife in the audience, so Tammy, you are a smoking hot babe. Very cool. I'm sure she and I will have conversations later. (laughs) So when I was 20, I probably would have asked for a lot of different things, but I don't think wisdom would have been one of them. Solomon asked for wisdom and made God very happy. And verse 10 says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you've asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you've asked for. I will give you wisdom and an understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for. Riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. And 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29 says, God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. The second part of verse 31 says his fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. Then verse 34 says kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to his wisdom. Uh, Another verse says the kings themselves would also come. So just just get that. Like here he is, uh, the third king of this newly formed nation becomes the most powerful nation in the known world at that time. And there's all these kingdoms around and they come to hear the wisdom that God has given Solomon. And no one at that time would have said, well, that guy's a rebel. No one. They would have said, rebel? What are you talking about? Trent, apparently you didn't do enough of your homework. Apparently you don't know enough of his story. I mean, that guy asked for wisdom. God gave him wisdom. He's using it to lead his nation. Like that guy is not a rebel. But even with large amounts of godly wisdom, 
Solomon slipped ever so slowly down a path into a rebellion that's worse than arrogant rebellion. I'm calling it today subtle rebellion. And that subtle rebellion led him away from the God who loved him deeply. Now, to understand how this happened, we've got to go back in time a little bit. So we're going to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. So before uh, the nation of Israel really was established in what was called the promised land, God told their leaders, told Moses at that time, one day the nation of Israel might want a king. And if that happens, this is what you need to tell them. You need to tell them my commands for every king that comes along and becomes king of Israel. So starting in verse 16, Moses said this, the king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses for the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. All right, so that was the place where Israel was enslaved for 400 years. So God said, I don't want you ever going back there. Don't even send people there to buy horses, okay? Verse 17, also the king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. And he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. Now, these commands of God were intended to keep the king from trusting in his wealth, in his military strength, or trusting in other gods besides the one true God. Now, in addition to these instructions, what the God said for the kings was each of them, when they took office, they had to write their own version of God's instructions for them. So each one had to write it down word for word by themselves on a scroll. They had to keep that with them every day and they had to read it every day so that they would lead God's people the way that he wanted them to. But listen to what happened as Solomon's kingdom grew. Second Chronicles chapter one, verse 14 says Solomon built up a huge force of chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. He stationed some of them in the chariot cities and some near him in Jerusalem. Now, at this spot right here, Solomon was definitely disobeying what God had already said, but I can hear him kind of rationalizing with God. I mean, like, God, like you weren't really clear on how many horses was too many. You know, I mean, you didn't say 10,000 was too many. You didn't say 500 was too many. Like, you weren't really clear, so I'm not really sure. And then, but God, look at me. Like, you've blessed me. I'm the most powerful leader in the world. We're the most powerful nation in the known world at this time. So, like, everyone would expect that we would have a strong military. So, it, it kind of makes sense that we would, and you weren't all that clear on that. Listen to what verse 16 says. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt. Now, technically... He wasn't disobeying God in this part. So God said, don't send anybody to Egypt to buy horses. So what Solomon did was he brought in traders from Egypt to buy horses. So technically, he wasn't really disobeying God on that one. And that's where that slippery slide begins. When we start rationalizing, when we start cutting corners, when we start saying, you know, technically, I'm not disobeying God. God said this, and I'm not technically doing that, so like, it, I'm still really okay here. You know, I find a little loophole maybe God wasn't aware of, or maybe God's okay with that loophole, but I'm, I'm technically not disobeying him. Or in those moments when we say, you know what, I deserve what I'm doing. I, I deserve what I have. 
I mean, God knows the story that I've been on. He knows all that I've put up with. And I know that God's instructions probably apply to everybody else, but my story is unique. And so I'm sure God's okay with this. Or if we say, you know what, I'm not intentionally doing anything wrong. God knows I would never intentionally do anything to hurt him. So I know God knows my heart. He knows my intentions. I'm not fully obeying him, but he knows my heart is good and I love him. Thoughts like that begin us down a path that leads to a place that we really don't want to ever end up at. Here's a few other ways that King Solomon continued down that slippery slope to subtle rebellion. Second Chronicles 1 verse 15, first part of that says, the king made silver and gold as plentiful in Jerusalem as stone. So imagine if silver and gold was as plentiful in Flagler County as the stone that, that you may see on the streets. You know, like, like, what do I do with all this stuff? You know, I mean, I got so much gold and silver, like just, you know, push it off to the side. Maybe we get a street cleaner to kind of clean that stuff up because it doesn't have a whole lot of value nowadays. We would be super excited about that. But God came along and, and told Solomon, said, listen, I don't want you to accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. I'm going to bless you. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of your wealth. You'll never have to worry about that. But I don't want you to accumulate large amounts of it because you will trust in it instead of me. Now, I can hear Solomon rationalizing again. But, but God, I mean, I'm not like accumulating all this stuff on my own. I mean, people just give it to me. Kings come and visit and they just give this stuff to me because they're impressed with the wisdom that you gave me. On one occasion, the queen of Sheba came to visit King Solomon and left him 9,000 pounds of gold. Pretty cool gift, don't you think? Um, not as much as he would get on a regular basis. 1 Kings 10 verse 14 says, each year Solomon received 25 tons of gold. This did not include the additional revenue he received from merchants and traders, all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land. So God was definitely fulfilling his end of the bargain, but his rule still applied for Solomon. He still said to Solomon, do not accumulate large amounts of gold and silver for you because you will trust in it instead of me. Here's a final way that Solomon rebelled against God, and I think this is the most dangerous way that he's done that. 1 Kings 11 verse 1 says, Now Solomon loved many foreign women, Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, and from the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Now, I'm not all that good with numbers, but I'm thinking he had more wives than God intended for him. <laughs> I'm also thinking he had 300 more concubines than God wanted him to have. Can I get an amen out of the ladies? Okay. Verse three says, in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. But again, I can hear Solomon rationalizing. God, I'm just marrying these women because I'm trying to keep peace in our region. So there's this other nation, and if it looks like we might have war with them, I'll marry one of their princesses. 
and that'll give us peace between us as a nation. It's just kind of a customary thing to do, God. I mean, here I am, the most powerful leader in the known world. You've put me in this spot. Everybody's looking around at us, and so I just do this customary wedding thing. In addition to that, God, these women need to know about you. And what if, what if I married them, and then I told them about you, and then they came to know you, and then they had an influence on their own nations? Wouldn't that be fantastic? God, wouldn't that be awesome? Now, I don't have any idea if Solomon rationalized that stuff in a conversation with God, but he was rationalizing something in his mind. Verse 4 says, In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Now, let me tell you what the Ammonites would do. They would sacrifice their own children to this made-up god, Moloch. And then King Solomon, the guy that God had chosen to lead his specially chosen people, would bow down, sacrifice, and worship a made-up god that other people would sacrifice their children to. Detestable to God. Verse 6 says, In this way Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. So even though Solomon was the wisest man in the world, leading the most powerful nation under the direct influence of God himself, he allowed himself to become a subtle rebel. And in his old age, he ended up very far from the God who loved him. Now here's where we get personal with this story. It's one thing to read a Bible story and go like, bonehead Solomon, like he had it all going for him. God gave him that wish and it was the greatest wish ever. Like he messed it all up. Why would he do that? It's another thing entirely when we read the Bible and go, how am I in this story? Are there any ways that I'm acting like Solomon? Are there any ways that I am subtly rebelling against God? Now, if you are a Christ follower, this next section that we're going to get into is going to be for you. So I'm going to ask some reflective questions of all of us, and I'm going to ask you to evaluate your life and answer, like, is there any way that you're subtly rebelling against God? If you're not a Christ follower, or if maybe you're coming back to this church thing again, or just exploring it for the first time or something, I'm not talking to you, Okay. So you just sit back, relax, watch the rest of us squirm in our seats, okay? Because God, if you're not a follower of Jesus, God does not expect that you live up to his standards. But if you are a follower of Jesus, God expects that we live up to the standards that he has for us. So this next section is going to feel a little heavy. So put your seatbelt on and hold on, okay? Here we go. As the pace of life picks up, Do you find yourself pushing God and his principles out of your life? Are you too busy to read the Bible? Too busy to pray? Too busy to serve someone in need? Too busy to go to a community group or uh, stay active in the group that you're in? Too busy to attend church on a regular basis? Do you find yourself saying, you know, God will understand. I mean, I've just hit this busy season of life and I'm just working so hard and God will get it. He knows my heart. He knows my intentions. I'm not, like, I'm not uh, turning away from him. It's just the season that I'm, I'm struggling in. Or do you find yourself saying, you know, 
Sunday really is my only day to sleep in. It's my only day to catch up on projects around the house. And so like, I, I think God will understand. He'll be okay with if I miss this Sunday or next Sunday or the, the next Sunday. And then all of a sudden, it's many Sundays. We've gotten out of the pattern of coming together in the church family. Now let me hit the pause button, okay? Let me explain something. Give you a quick disclaimer. Uh, I don't think God's up in heaven keeping track of your church attendance. I don't, I don't think every time you show up in church, God puts a star by your name. I don't think when we die and stand before him, he's going to flip through the list and find your name and go, let's see, uh, Evan, 95% church attendance. Way to go, man. Like 5%, I get it. You were sick, you know, a few days you were at the beach. I, I get it. Way to go. Let me look down here. Trent, 45%. Not good, my friend. Not good. I don't think God's doing that. This isn't about church attendance. So please hear me on this. It's about us gathering together as followers of Jesus in a place where the Bible's taught, in a place where we can learn how to be more like Jesus, a place where we can serve and learn how to be served by other people. It's a place where we can gather together and go out in our community and make an impact for Christ that will live beyond our lives like we did last week with 3G Saturday, like we're gonna do with 3G Sunday that's coming up in the fall. It's not about church attendance. So just hear me on that one. It's about staying connected with places, people, and activities that help us grow to be like Jesus. That's what I think it's about. All right, we're gonna shift to another subject. Do you find yourself rationalizing some of your behavior because you wanna stay relevant with your unsaved friends? Do you find yourself in a conversation with God saying, God, like I know like some of the activities that they get involved in don't really honor you and I, I know I'm involved in some of those. I know I go to some of those places. I know I do some of those activities, but my purpose is to stay connected with them so I can tell them about you. So God, I know that you'll understand. You'll, you understand the tension that I'm in. I, I don't want them to label me a Jesus freak and then they won't hang out with, with me anymore. I think we've got to be careful with that line of thinking because it leads to a slippery slope that often pulls us down and doesn't pull our friends up. Or maybe you find yourself pulling away from faith. Maybe something really challenging has happened in your life, or maybe there's been this big doubt that's happened, and you find yourself just going, you know, like, I don't know if I believe now what I once believed. Like, I don't know if I still believe that God is the only way. Like, maybe there are other ways. Maybe it's okay to have faith in other things besides Christianity, besides Jesus. That's the slippery slope that Solomon was on, where he started finding himself having that conversation with God saying, maybe there are other gods that we can worship. Maybe there are other ways that we can have faith and connect with something spiritual. Maybe you've been trusting in a relationship more than you should. Maybe there's some relationship that you're in right now and you've been saying like, like, it's so important. Maybe you've put that relationship over your relationship with God. And maybe you're having this rational, rationalization with God and he's saying, listen, it's out of order. Maybe you need to make some changes in that relationship. Maybe you're trusting in money more than you should. Maybe you just keep working so hard thinking, I'm just going to stockpile. I'm going to have money for retirement or, you know, or whatever you think you need. And God, maybe he's whispering to you, you know what? You're trusting more in that, something that will blow away tomorrow. You need to trust in me. I'm the only one 
that can give you the security that you need. There are many ways that we find ourselves on that slippery slope that leads to a subtle rebellion. And uh, in just a moment, our worship team's gonna come out. We're gonna end the way that we have over uh, the past three weeks in this series. They're gonna guide us through a song. We're gonna have opportunity for prayer if you wanna uh, pray in the back. But what I encourage you to do during the song is really reflect on your life. Spend some moments evaluating your life. Are you subtly rebelling against God in any way? Is there any way that you'd say, you know what? Like I, I've been kind of rationalizing some things, but it's not okay. Like I need to put my finger on that. Does God need to put some, his finger on something in your life and say, you know what? You've been explaining it away as it's all right, but it's not all right. If we don't put our finger on it, if we don't identify it, if we don't uh, make a course correction, we can end up like Solomon in a place that we never imagined we would be. And like right now, we could look a year from now or five years from now and go like, I can't imagine ever being in that place. I can't imagine ever doing those things. And if we keep on that subtle path of rebellion, we can end up in a place that we never imagined we could. So I encourage you during this song, I encourage you during this week, just continue this service on and keep asking God, are there any ways that I'm subtly rebelling against you? If you need prayer, if you need to pray with somebody related to what we're talking about today or anything, anything related to a prayer need in your own life, we'll have some people in the back over here and they're gonna have stickers on their shirt that say prayer. So just get up during this song, go back in that section, find somebody that has a sticker on their shirt and ask them to pray for you and they would love to do that. So let's pray and then our worship team will close us out today. God, it's so humbling to read stories like Solomon's in the Bible. A guy that had all the wisdom that you could ever offer. And yet, even in his own wisdom, he didn't do what he should have done. He made decisions that didn't line up with the wisdom you gave him. And Lord, it's so easy for us to do that. It's so easy for us to think we know the right thing and rationalize why we're not fully doing it and we're somewhat off track with God, but technically we're not really disobeying God and we find ourselves on this just subtle slope that just leads us away from you. And then all of a sudden, a year later, five years later, 10 years later, we wonder like, how did I get here? And maybe there's some people here today like that, Lord. Maybe there's some people that are looking back over their lives and going like, I'm not even sure how I got here, but I'm kind of far away from, from God. So Lord, our rebellion has the ability to not only lead us away from you, but it has the ability to lead us back to you if we'll stop. If we'll humble ourselves and be honest and say, I gotta deal with this. Like I gotta stop the path that I'm on. Lord, you love when we come running back to you. You love to give us grace and mercy and forgiveness. You love to show us how to stay on path with you. You love to show us how to deal with the rebellion that's in our own lives, no matter what form it takes. So Lord, I pray for all of us today. Pray that you would put your finger on that thing that maybe we've been rationalizing. And I pray that we would be honest about it. I pray that we would run back to you. Lord, I pray that you would transform us from the inside out. Thanks for the opportunity that we have to, to read these stories captured for, for us 
Lord, these Bible stories are as relevant today as the day that they happened. I pray that we would leave here today with the courage and the boldness and the strength to battle our rebellion in any form that it comes and stay faithful and true to you. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this. Amen. Yeah, let's celebrate that together. So, yeah. Thank you guys so much for going out into our community and showing them that we are for them, that we're for Flagler. Uh, there are five projects, over 100 of you participated in that, and we're going to have many more opportunities to participate. And then all of those people who are in our lives every day, our friends, our families, man, it is just a reminder that we should be serving on a regular basis. Well, good morning and welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones, and we are so glad that you're here with us today. If you're new uh, with us today, thank you for joining us, and we would love to tell you about the Connection Center. And so if you have questions about Epic, we would love to answer those. So please stop by our Connection Center right over here and uh, be able to ask the questions that you have or pick up any information about Epic so you can find out more about us. And then if you have your announcement sheet out there, I want to highlight two things that are coming up. Uh, in two weeks, on May 10th, it is Mother's Day. So guys, a little heads up there uh, for you, a little warning there. Um, but uh, on Mother's Day, we are having a child dedication part of the service. And so if you are a parent and you've never de dedicated your child and you'd like to do that, that is coming up. And so go online to the sign up tab and you can do that. We're going to have uh, a child dedication portion of the service during uh, the first service and during the second service. So be sure to indicate which service that you'd like that to happen in. And we will be having that on Mother's Day. And then today is the last day for our food drive. Uh, so it's not too late. If you still have a bag, please bring those in next week. Uh, we always have the carts out and we're always partnering with Grace Community Food Pantry. Uh, so you'll be able to always turn in things, but we are kind of wrapping up our month long food drive for that. So if you could bring those in by next week, that would be great. And then another way that we can give back to God is through our giving. And so if you call Epic your home, there's two ways that you can give. You can give in the boxes located at the end of each section or online at theepicchurch.com. Now we are in the midst of a series called Rebel. And so we just want you to sit back and check out this. <laughs> 